0: We're getting a little bit deeper here into the book of Proverbs, and we're just a few chapters away from what I call the classic Proverbs, those little one-sentence little nuggets that I just absolutely love. But what you're starting to see here now in Proverbs chapter 6, we're going to do the first half of Proverbs 6 this morning, is you're starting to get now more points. Like there's three main points that he's trying to make here this morning, where in the previous chapters it may have been one big point. It kind of like starts out real broad and kind of narrows himself down. Now, as we've said here, I think every service when talking about Proverbs, the purpose of Proverbs is wisdom. Is to get wisdom to make right, godly choices in your spiritual life and also in your personal life. That's the purpose of the book of Proverbs, is we all need wisdom. And as we go through this this morning, this was a convicting message for me because there's a lot of times I look and I said, man, I wish I could have said something different if I could go back in time. And Proverbs is trying to teach us, hey, before you make the mistake... Realize what the right choice and the right path is, and therefore you won't make that mistake. And it's done in the wisdom of God. So without much further ado, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1. My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself. For you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself, plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle and from the hand of the hunter, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Now, I think there's two points with this. The first point of this is the financial side of it. They're talking about finances here. If you become surety for your friend, if you're shaking hands and you're pledged by a stranger, basically what we would use today is almost the term of... Uh, co-signing a loan, or uh, loaning money in between friends, and if anybody's ever been in that position before, you know it can be very awkward and very difficult, and you want to see something divide friendships, relationships, and family, throw money into the mix of it, and basically what the writer of Proverbs is saying here is, hey, wisdom is, is, let's not even get into it. Wisdom is not, let's try to figure out how to best handle it now that it's a problem. Wisdom is, let's not even start it. And like I said, I bet a lot of us sit here can tell stories of, you know what, did this with the money or that with the money. And it just becomes this awkward situation. And so what the writer of Proverbs here is saying is, first off, don't get into it. And if you got yourself into a problem, he says, go to that person and try to make it right as quickly as you possibly can. Look at verses 4 and 5. Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Quickly, try to go make this right. Quickly, try to go work this out. Well, I think the interesting thing here is, what is the biblical response to this, though? Because there's going to come times and a place where you're going to have a, maybe a family member or a friend come up and say, hey, here's the situation. Life threw us a curveball. I don't know, fill in the blank. Finances are tough. This situation's tough. So what are we supposed to do? Do you just look at them and say, well, Proverbs 6. Sorry. Can't do anything. Won't do anything. Or maybe you could say, I would love to, but God says no. No, it's not that God is saying no. What's the biblical response? Turn, if you will, to Luke 6. Now, I always have to forewarn you as you go to Luke 6. Because when you go here and you read this passage, this passage goes so against what we are trained and what the world teaches us that when you read this, it's like, are you serious? See, but this is how Christianity is different than the world. The world says, oh, you're in a financial trouble. I'll loan you 500 bucks, charge you 15% interest, and you make payments for me. See, I can make money off your hardship. That's what the world says. Dawn and I have been looking at some stuff and there was this one camper one time that we were looking at and I called the guy up and he was saying and you know it's the classic thing of we were looking at one that was cheap and he said well I got this great one that just came in so I said okay how much and he said the price or whatever it was honest, I don't even remember and I said oh I said it's a little bit of our price range he goes well how does 48 dollars a month sound to you I said, $48 a month sounds good. Now, remember, I have the degree in finance. I said, how long am I paying $48 a month? How about for the next 12 years? (laughs) Now, I'm not smart, but I ain't dumb. 12 years, $48 a month, that's a lot. See, yeah, you could do it. Yeah, you could go down that route. See, the Bible never necessarily says it's against debt. The Bible says it's against debt controlling you. And that's what you've got to be careful about here. And this is what it's saying in Proverbs 6. Is, Don't let the debt, the money, the finances control you. Look here in Luke 6 and uh, pick it up in verse uh, 30. We hit these verses actually just a few weeks ago. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. Now, we're not going to go in depth into that verse today because we covered that a few weeks ago. And that idea of biblical responsibility but also biblical wisdom on knowing what to loan, what to do. So we've covered that. But verse 31, And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Here, Now look here at verse 34. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. One of the things that we do out here at church is if someone is in a financial bind and they approach the church about helping them out, one of the first things we tell them is we give this to you in the love of Jesus, and they will generally say something back of, okay, well, we'll pay you back, or let's do this. And we say, we're not a bank. This is not a loan. Because we don't want that burden to be on people. We don't want people walking into Harvest Fellowship thinking, Oh, I owe the church X amount of dollars at this rate or that. No. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You know, He's the one that says, I've paid the debt for you. And so the way we look at it is there is no loan. This is a gift. We give this to you, and we hope that you will use that in the right and proper manner because we don't lend hoping for something in return. We don't lend hoping for nothing in return. Now, Obviously, once again, there's a flip side to this, and there's wisdom to that. And sometimes there are situations where you have to say no, personally and corporately as a church. And like I said, we've covered that. But the purpose and point of Proverbs 6 right here is to basically say, before you get in trouble, don't get in trouble. (laughs) Don't do the financial thing. It will cause problems. It will cause heartache. It will divide friendships. It will divide relationships. And I bet you there's people here today that can say I can tell you a testimony on that one. So that's the purpose here of Proverbs chapter six. The first part is that financial side of it. But there's another verse here in the first five verses that really hit me it was verse two. "You are snared by the words of your mouth, you're taken by the words of your mouth." See, what, what calls the person to get in this trouble in the first hand? They answer too quickly. They answered without thinking. They answered without praying. They answered without first checking with God. And this is a flaw that we have in the church a lot today. All of us do. A lot of times we make big life decisions, either A, without seeking the Lord on it, or B, with some token little, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Thanks. See, the person in verse 2, we're too quick with their words. And this is something that we do a lot as Christians. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is actually out of Psalm 116. David said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. Now, the purpose of that is David basically said what? I talked without thinking. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Now, I know none of you have ever done something like that. Where you have said in your haste something that you later on regret. That you spoke too quickly. And you didn't think before you spoke. One of the verses we're going to get to here in a little bit in Proverbs is Proverbs 22. It says, A fool vents all his feelings but a wise man holds him back. I know some people that literally have no filter between brain and mouth. They, it just There is nothing there. And whatever they are thinking just comes right out. And I think of that passage of fool Vince, all his feelings. I know people that when they just get angry and upset, they don't think about what they're saying. And then they say things that aren't true. And you say, come on, man. You know that's not true. Oh, yes, it is. David said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. David said, basically, I shouldn't have said that. The book of James goes one step further. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's one thing I'm still trying to learn after walking with the Lord for 17 years is, let's listen more than I talk. I talk a lot. (laughs) You know, people call me up and they want to talk, and sometimes I'll just take the conversation over. Sometimes you just got to stop and listen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, a fool vents all his feelings. I said in my haste, all men are liars. See, one of the gifts of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control says I can watch my tongue because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to me. Because when I get frustrated, when I get upset, I'm one of the first ones to make outlandish, as I like to call them, grandiose statements. You know, in marriage counseling, I always tell people, don't use phrases like, you never, you always. When I get frustrated, you're going to hear the you always, the you nevers. And Dawn in love will try to say, come on, you don't mean that, you're just upset. Oh, I mean it. I mean it this time. I said in my haste, all men are liars. I just read a great verse the other day, and I'm sure I've read it before. But it, it's a little paraphrased here, but it said, speculation leads to arguments goodness. You know how many times I've worked myself up into a tizzy because I'm speculating? Oh, I know that's why he did that. I know that's why she said it. I bet they're doing this. And in my mind, I play out this entire scenario. And next thing you know, I'm worked up and upset and I don't even know what's going on. But speculation led to arguments which led to frustrations and which led to me saying something I shouldn't. And one of the things here when we get deeper in the book of Proverbs is the Proverbs are going to teach us a wise man. A mature believer watches their tongue. And when I see somebody who's walked with the Lord for a while and they're mature in their ways, you really can tell by the way they speak. They're not gossiping. They're not backbiting. They're not complaining. They're not whining. They really watch their tongue. And I look at this verse 2 again of Proverbs 6. You are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Boy, I've been in that position before. I've set a trap with my own tongue, and I fell right into it. We've got to be careful of what we say, how we say it, when we say it, and even why are we saying it. Sometimes we say things to make ourselves feel better, that that felt good to take a jab at you. No, the mature thing is to let that go, give it over to the Lord, and say, God, I'm sorry for that. So, you see this first part here. Well, this next part in verses 6 through 11 kind of build off the whole financial thing, if you will. Verse 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Watch, having no captain, overseer, or ruler. Provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her fruit in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and you need like an armed man. Now, I like to read a lot of different translations because I know some of you sometimes out here have different translations, be it King James. I personally like New King James, NIV, New Living Translation. I like New Living Translation. Instead of saying sluggard, it calls them lazy bones. So if you ever get into a biblical argument, ask somebody, do you think the word lazy bones is in the Bible? And you can win that one. So, lazy bones. Now, verses 6 through 11. Now, this is a tough passage because you know why? It's talking about work ethic. Boy, you start bringing up work ethic with people. You can really get into a lot of arguments about this. Because people have different ideas of what work really is. And it's tough in the society we live in because generally if you meet somebody, another one of your peers, and you're meeting them for the first time, once you get past the pleasantries of, hi, how are you, my name is so-and-so, etc., if you're sitting there and you're forced to make a conversation with them, what do you almost inevitably ask? So what do you do for a living? That's kind of what comes up. Well... If anybody's ever been in a position where you did not have a job at that moment, you've been laid off, you're looking for a job, you hate saying those words of, well, I'm not doing anything right now. Because that just sounds then like, oh, I'm the sluggard. And that's not true. There are situations in life where work is tough. We live in a tough economy right now. And I know there's godly men and women out here at this church that have been looking for a job for a long time, praying, seeking, and trying, and it's tough. It's tough. This passage is not talking about, in verses 6 through 11, those that are wanting to work, trying to work, looking for gainful employment. It's not talking about that. This passage is talking about, in verses 6 through 11, those that could work, can work, and choose not to work. Now, those are tough. We run into those every now and then out here at church, not people within the body, but people from outside the community that come looking for help, looking for things, and it just doesn't work out. There's one individual that... Um, we know pretty well, and this individual that we have known for years is always in between jobs, always one step away from that great job, or always wrongfully got let go. And, you know, when you first hear this story, you sit here and you say, oh, man, you feel bad, what can we do? But then after years and years, and literally years of this, you start saying, okay, there's a reason here. There's a verse we're going to get to in the, and later on in Proverbs where it says, I can't work because there's a lion in the street. I can't go outside, there's a lion. And basically, there's always a reason or excuse of why not to do it. And you know what this passage is trying to say here is, what's your work ethic? Because what does the book of Colossians say? You work as if working for the Lord, not for man. If you have to go into work today, or if you have to go into work tomorrow, and I know this is a tough concept to wrap your mind around, but when you clock in or go, you are not working for that company, you are working as a witness of Jesus Christ. And when you have that mindset of I'm working as a witness for Jesus Christ, I want to do the best job I can. Everybody else may be slack and everybody else may be taking it easy, but I'm going to have a good work ethic because I am working for the Lord, not for man. Mankind may be paying me, but my witness is for the Lord, and so therefore I want a good, strong work ethic. Christians should be separated from the world and how we work and tackle projects because we work for the Lord, not for man. But it is tough when you have a thankless job, when you have an underpaid job. It's tough when you have that job with no respect. And you're just like, I'm supposed to go put in 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours for this place, this company that could care less about me? No, I'm putting in that work ethic for my Lord and Savior as a good light and witness. See, even in the New Testament, when Paul was writing, he would write to the slaves. He would say, slaves, obey your masters, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. That was part of their light and their witness. That's tough for us to keep that concept, but we need to have that strong work ethic. What about those that don't want to work? I don't want to get all political here, but we live in a society now where if somebody truly does not want to put much effort into their life and to become a better member of society, that there's a lot of things that lift them up and take care of them. Now, you remember what Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians? He says, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if you want to check that out. What was happening in the church of Thessalonica is these people reached a point, and these were supposed believers, of, well, you know what, I got all of eternity. I'm just waiting for eternity. Jesus is going to return any time. So I'm just going to take it easy and wait for the clouds to roll back and wait for Christ to come. And Paul said, no. Jesus said, occupy till I come. Paul says you get out there and you work and be a light and a witness at your job and at your situation. That's the part of the reason why you're there. You know, how many of us have had an opportunity to share Christ with somebody at work? Or how many of us maybe had Christ share to us while at work? It's a great witness field. It's a great witness field to get out there and be a light in all we say and all that we do. Jesus is returning. That is our motivation. But at the same time, we work while we're out on this earth. That is part of our light, and that's part of our witness. And that's what Paul is trying to say. And you know what? And Paul set the example. Anytime Paul, through the book of Acts, go check it out. Anytime he went to go share Christ out of town, what did he do? He went and worked. Paul's a tent maker. So Paul went out there and said, I'm still going to work. And so there's this mindset here of what is our work ethic? Because I see this a lot, verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. Now, I know everybody needs different amounts of sleep. Okay? That's just a fact. I, just the other day, uh, I was laying there in bed, and I don't know if you ever do this, but our, our kids will come into our bedroom when they're ready to get up. And if I'm really out of it, I'll just incorporate them into my dream. And uh, they'll be saying, Dad. And I'm, like, just dreaming someone's saying, Dad. The other day, Elias came in, and he's tapping me. And I'm dreaming, and I'm dreaming someone's tapping me. Um, but he, he woke up. And he, he was ready to start his day at 4 in the morning. <laughs> I said, go back to bed. You know, and I don't think that's a bad interpretation of a little sleep, a little slumber. Come on. I mean, we love the Lord, but we don't have to love him at 4 a.m. You know, it's, it's one of those things where we can love him at 7. So, but there are certain people, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, they like to sleep and worship mattresses, a whole awful lot. And there are some people that need to say, you know what? You need a little fire lit under you. You really do. And if anybody has ever worked in management before, you can tell pretty quickly those that have a work ethic and those that don't. You have co-workers you can think of right now that have a work ethic and those that don't. You know how that affects your opinion of them. What we're trying to say here in verses 6 through 11 is, Don't be one of those that does not have the work ethic where your light and your witness is shattered by being the sluggard, the lazy bones. That's part of what we do here. And it's a truthful statement of generally those that have that work ethic, there's a provision there because they're working, making wise, smart choices in life when it comes to finances and everything else too. Now, I think there's another interesting point about this too is that idea of balance. Because did you catch here what the ant is doing? The ant is providing her supplies in the summer and gathering her food in the harvest, verse 8. Now, why is the ant doing that? The ant is doing that because there's winter coming, and in winter, you got to eat, and you have to have provisions. So there is logic and wisdom here in providing for the future. But you know what? There's a balance with this. Because I see this a lot. I see it with myself. How many times do we look at the balance sheet What's the 401k say? How much do I have in savings and CDs? What's my IRAs bringing back? Planning for retirement? And there is wisdom in making sure that you are taken care of. But you also have to remember, too, Matthew 6, 19, your treasures are in heaven. Your treasures are in heaven. I've been to a lot of situations here at church, and I've been to a lot of times where people are in their final moments of life, and I've never had anybody say, man, I wish I had more in my 401k. They're not thinking that at the end. Now, thinking about that in their 50s or thinking about that in their 60s and maybe in their 70s, but when push comes to shove at the end, it's not how much money you have in the bank. It is that eternal rewards waiting for you in heaven, your walk with Jesus Christ. So you know what? There's a balance here. Be wise when it comes to the finances. You know stuff's coming. Property taxes are going to be due, all this stuff. You know that. You plan ahead. That's smart. That's biblical wisdom. But at the same time, too, you realize there's an eternal reward perspective, an eternal retirement that you're focusing on, where it's more important to plant seeds into eternity than it is on this earth. And you've got to keep that mindset. Now, what we're going to finish with here is verses 12 through 19, because kind of what happens here is the writer of Proverbs almost makes a stop and saying, okay, if you choose not to listen to wisdom... If you choose not to listen to God's discretion, you're a worthless person. Now, that's tough. But that's the truth of the matter is, is through these first six chapters of Proverbs, God is giving wisdom, guidance, and direction. If we sit here and say, I don't care. I don't want to listen to what God has to say, what's right in my life. It is kind of a dumb thing. And that's what he's saying here. Verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth, winks with his eyes, shuffles his feet, points with his finger. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Quite the description here of somebody. Verse 12, worthless person, a wicked man. Look at the description here. First off, you can't trust their words. That's what it's trying to say here in verse 13. Winks with his eyes, shuffles his feet, points with his finger. What they're saying is, basically, he's saying one thing, but his body is doing another. You can't trust him. That little wink, the feet and the hands, you've got to watch. What are they doing? Because his words are saying one thing. Because verse 12, he has a perverse mouth. He has a mouth that's full of perversity. You know, one thing the Bible keeps repeating to us again and again and again, is you can tell a lot about a person by the words that come out of their mouth. You can tell a lot about that. And when perversity is in their mouth, you have to stop and say, wait a second, if perversity is in your mouth, is Christ in your heart? And this is a story I'll probably repeat numerous times. But I remember one time years ago, I was working with somebody that came out here to church, and we were doing a project at their house for a while, and they had other people around helping them that, you know, people they work with, not church people. And all of a sudden, his language and mouth totally changed. And I'm used to the persona. And the mouth I hear at church, and all of a sudden this mouth totally changes when it's around a different group of people. And you know, and that's something that's always stuck with me. And the words that were coming out of their mouth, I it was unbelievable. I've never looked at Rose the same way. I'm just kidding. kidding. I just had to think of somebody. I didn't know. I was I was stalling there for a second. Rose doesn't cuss. Clarence cusses. Um <laughs> But the mouth, you couldn't trust it. And you know, this is what Proverbs is trying to say here, is you can't trust the mouth. The mouth is saying one thing, but everybody else is doing nothing. Look at verse 14. Perversity is in his heart. The Bible says, out of the mouth proceeds the faults and intents of the heart. So if the mouth is going astray, it probably means the heart's going astray. And you see this right here. There's perversity in the mouth, verse 12. Well, there's perversity in the heart, verse 14. That's what's happening here. Devises evil continually. Now, this is not devising evil in the sense of, let's plan this attack. It's devising evil in the sense of, thoughts aren't on the Lord. Thoughts aren't on furthering the kingdom. Thoughts aren't on how to bring peace and unity and vision to the church. It's on how to devise evil. And what happens when you're devising evil continually? Verse 14, discord. Relationships are going to be amok. There's not going to be strong relationships with brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're probably going to bring problems to church. You're going to bring problems to work. You're going to bring problems to your home life. Because if there's perversity in the mouth and there's perversity in the heart, it's going to trickle down to everything else that you do. And when I run into somebody who's just constantly having problems with people and individuals and situations, sometimes you have to stop and say, okay, is the problem you? Because if there's perversity in the mouth and the heart and you're sowing discord, there's not going to be a lot of peace in your life. Now, there's different types of no peace. Sometimes there's no peace because of situations that are beyond control, but sometimes there's no peace because of decisions that you and I make. It goes both ways there. So then, the writer of Proverbs here lists seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. And let's just look at these. Verse 17, the first one is pride. Boy, God can work with nearly anything, but he can't work with pride. Because when you have pride... It's either your way or the highway, you have the best idea, you're the only one that understands, you're the only one that gets it. God says, no, I need a humble, willing spirit to work with. One of the commentators I was reading said, pride, pride forgets that you were made out of the dust of the earth. When you go back to your origins and your beginnings of God creating us out of the dust of the earth, not a lot to be prideful about. It's him, it's all him. Next one, a lying tongue, we've covered that, that idea of can't trust them. Next one, hands that shed innocent blood. You know, you look at this situation here, and there's a lot of innocent blood being shed in the world today. A lot of people whose lives are taken way too early due to dumb things, war, conflict, abortion, etc. Innocent blood being shed. Next one, a heart that devises wicked plans. You know, it goes back to once again in verse 18. What is your heart? Is your heart on furthering the kingdom and edifying the body of Christ? Or is your heart on what you want? See, when we look at verse 18 and we see a heart that devises wicked plans, sometimes we stop and say, I'm not devising wicked plans. Okay, but sometimes wickedness is such a self-centered idea that you're not thinking about the rest of the body of Christ in the world. And I've seen people that necessarily aren't doing things wicked, but it's all just me, 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 me. God says, what about us? Feet that are swift in running to evil? A false witness who speaks lies. And you may say, okay, well, what's the difference between a lying tongue, verse 17, and a false witness who speaks lies? A lying tongue is that person that lies. Verse 19, a false witness is that person who likes to twist the truth. Aren't those one and the same? Yeah, to an extent they're both lying. But 19 carries more of this public idea of I'm twisting the truth on situations. I'm a false witness. And look, and this is repeated, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Now, do you ever think about that? One who sows discord among the brethren. God puts those, what I say, troublemakers and the whole list of the lying, the killing of the innocent blood, etc. See, when you look at this verse, verses 17 through 19, you think, okay, shedding innocent blood, murder. Okay, murder is wrong. Lying. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say lying is as bad as murder. God says, no. These things are things I hate. Now, think about that. These six things the Lord hates. Okay, what does 1 John say? God is a God of love. So for a God of love to say, I hate this, that means he really hates it. He hates pride, lying, murder, wickedness, running to evil, false witness, and discord. He hates that. And so the book of Proverbs is a place for us to stop and say, okay, do I have any of those seven things in my heart and life? Because if I have any of those seven things in my heart and life, I am doing something that God, who is love, hates. And I need to stop and say that is not the path and witness I want to be. Because what you have here building up in Proverbs, he's going through all these ideas. Verses 1 through 5, we talked about the financial side of it. We talked about watching our words. You know, verses 6 through 11 here, we got into this idea of work ethic and our light and a witness. Sums up in verses 12 through 19 of, do you want to be the worthless, wicked man? No, we don't. So if we don't want to be that person, let's take the time and opportunity to look at our lives and say, what Needs to be changed. Remember, Proverbs is wisdom. Wisdom is realizing I want to make these changes before they're a problem. And wisdom is also realizing these things are a problem in my life. And I need to make these changes now before it becomes a bigger problem. And how are these changes made? Through the power of the Holy Spirit in your walk with the Lord. Because you can sit in verses 17 through 19 and say, Okay, I'm not going to do this, 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 or this. Okay, your flesh can succeed for a little but you know what it comes down to is you can't make any changes in your life without the Lord doing it for you, without his strength. You have to have a willing heart to want to do it. And then once you have that willing heart, you have to realize, Lord, it's your strength to do it because I can't do it on my own. A lot of us try to say, okay, I'm going to make these changes. I'm going to do this. And we do it for a while unless the Lord is in it. What difference does it make? Here's the verse I want to end with, if you would, please. Um, I believe it's Psalm 127. Let me double check that. Psalm 127, let's end with this. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless God is the one making those changes in your life, giving you the strength to make those changes in your life, it's vanity. Like I said, you can do it for a while. I remember one time watching an interview with this uh, comedian that was very well known in and, and his comedy acts. He uh, had a really sharp tongue and a lot of bad words came out of his mouth. And he was making the comment how he has this one persona on stage where he says whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, but yet in the private life when he's around his mother and grandmother, he said specifically, he's really got to be careful. Now, see, that's the tough part is that mental in your mind thinking, okay, what group am I around? Oh, I'm around this group, so this is the way I act. Okay, now I'm around this group. Oh, I gotta watch what I say. See, the whole purpose here of what he's trying to say in Proverbs 6 is wisdom is if you're focusing on the Lord, you don't have to worry about who you're around because your light and witness is there. And how do you have the strength to do that? It comes through the Holy Spirit. And how do you do that? Well, Psalm 127 Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless you stop and realize it is God that makes the changes and powers the changes in your life, nothing matters. It has to be the Lord, and the strength comes through Him. And as always, if you have anything you want to pray about or be concerned about, we are here to pray with you encourage you in any way whatsoever. And we are there to help. Call us. Let us know. That's what we're here to do, is to help you make those changes that God has laid on your heart that you want to do. Marv, if you come forward here for the final song. I'll tell you, wisdom is making those changes that need to be made. And if there's something heavy on your heart with that, grab me, grab Rich, grab Renee. We'll definitely pray with you here before you leave today to encourage you and point you in the right direction in any way that we possibly can.